Welcome back to Politically Unwrapped, a podcast by Project Patriarchy. I'm your host, Ava. I'm your other host, Anthony. Let's get into what's been happening. President Biden reported on Tuesday that the deadline for states to open up uh, for COVID-19 vaccines to all 18-year-olds in the United States would be moved by around two weeks. He changed the deadline to April 19th, less than a month after ordering states to extend eligibility to all adults by May 1st. Um, I think it's a, in a way like a good thing. And I'm not like, I know, you know, I identify more as conservative and, you know, I'm not necessarily against the vaccine. I'm against forced vaccines and stuff like that. Uh, I do think this is good, but not necessarily because of like the, my views on the vaccine or whatever, but I'm really, I'm more for this, uh, because I think that when it comes to the actual vac- like vaccines, I think uh, it is running a bit low. You know, I know uh, the distribution is having a little bit of trouble. So I think it's good in the sense that, you know, for the people who do want to get the vaccine, they, uh, you know, there's more time. There's so many people that want to get the vaccine that I know distribution is kind of uh, sucky right now. So I think it's good for uh, those who want to get the vaccine that uh, this was kind of pushed back in a way to kind of like, extend the amount of time they can get to actually get all the uh all the vaccines they need basically um i do think it's good we're getting the vaccine rolled out and open for those who want to take it just because i think if you want the vaccine it should be readily available for you i know i got my first dose yesterday and it was pretty easy at this point in my state to schedule and get signed up for and it was i mean only took 30 minutes because you have to wait around for 15 minutes to see if there's a reaction. So I thought it was pretty easy to get done. Um, I do think it should be said, if there are extra vaccines available and you want it to go and get that or uh, try to get those because if they have extras, they throw them out. So if you are wanting it and there are extras available, go and get it then instead of waiting. So the Arkansas governor vetoed a bill that would have made the state the first to prohibit transgender children from receiving gender-affirming medical services, including surgery, even with parental consent. Governor Asa Hutchinson, a Republican, called the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or SAFE Act, a vast government overreach. Hastings stated that his legal career as a civil rights attorney in 1979, President Jimmy Carter named him to the United States District Court for the Southern District of Florida, making him the state's first African-American federal judge. Um, since this happened, the lawmakers have overridden his veto. I do think it's important to note that some of these gender-affirming medical services can include hormone blockers, which are used to stop someone from essentially beginning puberty until they're sure of whether or not they would like to continue with the path they're on. Um, I do agree that this is uh, government overreach. The government should not be able to tell these kids and keep these kids from getting health care they need and want, especially if they have their parental consent. And I think this is ma- uh, majorly going to impact the kids who are already using these services. I think we do need to call this what it is, and that's an attack on the trans community. I actually, uh, I'm, I disagree. I don't think it's government overreach. I do think that kids... Not necessarily because I'm not saying that, you know, trans being transgender isn't a real thing. And I'm not saying that there's only like two genders. What I'm trying to say is that there is there there is a growing number of people in adulthood who want to get this um 
you want to get the uh, surgery when it comes to changing your sex undone. I do see a growing number of statistics for that. There's a good enough number of people to where you to where they go back on what the surgery did. I I think that when you're a kid, you cannot make these type of decisions. I think that, and I'm saying if you identify that, you can identify that at the end of the day. But I'm saying don't get the surgery for it. Just hold off until you're an adult. I think that you know with surgery this big, especially with the amount of people that go back on that surgery later in life. I don't think kids are able to make that decision for themselves when it comes to this uh, this surgery. But you know, once that's just my personal opinion. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's. I think it's the responsible thing to just have them hold off until they're adults. I'm all for adults doing whatever they want. Uh, I'm very libertarian on that. When it comes to kids, um, I don't think it's government overreach. Also, just by definition, because um, to begin with. Kids are restricted on a lot on a lot of things, uh, anyways. So I, I don't really think it's over. I think it would only be government overreach if they banned adults from doing this. I see what you're saying, but you're talking about surgery, whereas this is broadly banning any gender affirming medical services, such as hormone blockers, which have been shown to actually help in the case of you were talking about um, people going back on their decision. That's the purpose of these hormone blockers, because they can stop you from um, going through puberty then until you have time to make your decision about whether you want to follow through with the surgery or continue um, or have delayed puberty with the gender you were assigned at birth. And that's the point of those. So when you're taking kids off of those, especially kids who have already been on them, it's going to majorly impact them. And then with the government overreach, I know you said like kids can't make a lot of those decisions, but you have to think about this is even with parental consent. I feel like if you have the parents' consent, that should be a decision for the family to make, not for the government. Well, so it's only hormone blockers then, or is so is this bill is banning any gender affirming medical services? So surgery, uh, hormone blockers, and in anything that falls under that category. Okay, so I understand what you're saying about the hormone blockers. So, um, I mean, yeah, I get it in the sense of, I mean, hormone blockers. At the end of the day, I still don't know how I feel. I mean, I get what you're saying. It's it's the parent's decision too. And it's the parents giving the child okay, like the okay, essentially. Um, I think to an extent, I may agree with that. I still don't think, you know, um, I still think maybe like at a certain age for a kid, I still, I like for instance, I think if a nine-year-old said they want to be on hormone blockers, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but I still think to an extent there should sure be age limits on that. Maybe more, uh, I know, maybe like 11 for girls, 13 for boys. But I do think, you know, to the extent of when I'm just, because I know this also includes surgery. So I just kind of gave my take on the actual surgery part of it. So maybe we, we might agree to an extent on the uh, hormone blockers. But I think for surgery, I think I think they should have made it to where you can't get the actual surgery until you're an adult. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think there's something to be said about, I mean, obviously there would be age limits on stuff that has to do with the hormones in your body just because of when it's safe to do that. I just, if a 17 year old who is technically a child in the eyes of a law and the law wants the surgery, 
that should be their choice. And if they decide they want to go back later, again, that should be their choice. And I just feel like the government shouldn't be able to tell these kids, no, that's not who you are yet. And you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. And, um, you know, I definitely, um, I definitely, cause I'm just going to, uh, like talk about kind of like my friend, my, I have a friend named Toby. Uh, Toby is transgender. Um, just kind of talk about their personal anecdote here and what they tell me. And, uh, they talk, they talked to me a lot about this and they kind of helped uh, educate me on the whole topic. But in my point of view is that you have to understand, uh, kind of understand is that they kind of explain to me the difference between sex and gender. And I'm not, and I'm sure there's differing opinions on this, but I'm just doing what I've, I've been told and what, uh, my friend taught me, uh, they essentially said that sex and gender are two different things. At the end of the day, uh, they're fine with waiting until they're a, an adult to get the surgery simply because whatever, you know, sexual body parts you have, or it doesn't affect like the actual, like who they are, you know, uh, if they don't, they don't need a, um, it doesn't matter what their actual physical autonomy is or whatever. What matters is, you know, is who they are in the end and their physical autonomy doesn't define who they are. So that's why they essentially explained to me why they're okay with waiting until adulthood. And I think I, I can agree with it in that sense, because, you know, if you can't get a surgery until you're 18, that doesn't change who you are. If you need a surgery, if you need, a, if not getting a surgery defines you, I think that's a whole, in terms of more, I'm not saying all surgery, I'm not saying the surgery in the case of uh, sex reassignment or sex uh, affirming surgery, as I know some people like to call it. I think in the case where if you need that to call yourself transgender, to call yourself a boy or call yourself a girl, then you're kind of saying it's a biological thing, which it isn't. It's just who you are. It's, it's what, at least to the extent of what I understand is that it's not, it's not biological. It's who you are. And I don't think a surgery defines who you are. And if you need it when you're 18, get it. But I think when you're 17, you're still a child. You're 16, you're still a child. I mean, you could say that, oh, 17 is close enough to an adult, but then fine, 16 is close enough to 17 and 15 is close enough to 16. That's why they have the law of when you're becoming an adult. It's essentially just the limit where it is. I think, and just to kind of like refinalize all my points, I think, and of course, you know, I'm not transgender, so I can't personally speak for anybody, but I think that, it's all about just who you are. And I don't think a surgery defines who you are. If you're, if you identify as a male, then identify as a male, but a surgery shouldn't define if you're a male or not in the context of being transgender. And you know, that's just my opinion and what I've learned from all these conversations I've had within, you know, these last few years. So of course, you know, I'm always subject to kind of getting my opinion changed in that sense. Um, yeah, I do. I, I see your story, but I see it as more of a, like, that's the way that person wants their journey to go. And if there's a person who feel, I just feel like someone, if someone felt more comfortable having the genitalia that they, uh, that goes with what they identify as, then that should be their choice. It should be their choice to feel comfortable in their body, just as any surgeries are, uh, and not, any surgeries I should say but like if they want that to make them feel more comfortable I feel like that's their choice and then if they want to go back it's 
again, I mean, it's just their choice either way, right? Because if they go back, no one's going to tell them, oh, you shouldn't do that. But it's just, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying about the surgery part. I just think for me, it's more of like, why do, why did we need to ban all gender affirming services for these kids? Because I do think it's going to do more harm than good at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. And I really like that stance because I think it opens up a more leftist libertarian stance in the in sort of that sense. And I, I really like to uh, see that because, you know, I'm really against the whole kind of I know it's kind of a uh, basic to say this, but I, I don't really like the whole, um, you know, four corners political map. I spent, but more especially, I think in just the fact to simplify it in that way. I, I think I see a lot of people who are more authoritarian on that side. So I do like to see where more people are just like if they want it who cares about the consequences that they have for themselves, just let them do it. And I think that's end of the day, fine. And at the end of the day, you know, I could, I could talk about this for hours and hours and why, you know, kids shouldn't be making the decisions to this extent and why that should, that libertarian acts like should only be for adults. But I get what you're saying, you know, kids, you know, if it makes them happy, let them do it. And if they don't like it, let them change it for an adult. But I think as just kind of like my final words on the topic, I'm just going to say, uh, I do agree. Maybe, you know, for the home run blockers, let them get it if they're kids. But I think when it comes to the actual surgery, I think that that should only be for adults simply because um, I think you are responsible for the consequences of your actions once you're an adult. But once, but when you're a kid, I don't think you should have that type of, you know, risking the chance of you regretting it later in life from the decision you made as a kid. I don't think kids are responsible enough to make decisions, even if it makes them happy, you know, we're not going to let a baby or a child. And I know this isn't this is the best equivalency, but we don't let children do what they want all the time just because it makes them happy. You don't give, you don't give a child candy 24 seven. And of course, I'm not trying to say that this is essentially get taking candy or essentially, but you don't give a child candy 24 seven, because at the end of the day, they want candy because they're irresponsible. They don't know any better. And I'm not saying that they are, aren't transgender, but I'm saying that you can identify as that if it makes you happy. But when it comes to such a life-changing decision or when it comes to the actual surgery, it's, I think the actual surgery is a much bigger decision than deciding to finally come out simply because one is just always who you've been. And the other one is biologically changing yourself. And I think it is... To make a decision when you're a child like that, I, I don't think even teenagers, a 17-year-old, I don't think they're responsible enough to make that decision. And maybe an 18-year-old's not responsible enough either, but at the end of the day, you're an adult, so you're responsible for your actions at that point. And hopefully, you know, at the end of, at the end of the day, you make the best decision for yourself. But I just don't think kids are I don't think the decision like that should be in the kids' hands if it even if it even if that's the thing that could make them happy. I just think that it's too life-changing in the way that, yeah, I just think it's too life-changing for a kid to make the decision. And that's going to be kind of like my final words on the actual topic itself. Um, I just think my final words on it would be as looking at it as more of a broader issue. And yes, it is a transgender issue, but opening up um, the issue of the government telling you what you can and can't do with your body, I guess my equivalency would kind of be like, I mean, minors can get, breast reductions right now because it could be causing them pain or they're uncomfortable with um, the way that is for their body. But if the government were to say, oh, no, you can't get that until you're 18, because what if you regret it later? It's just why 
why should that be in the government's hand and not the individual? And um, if I just think as a more general and not just a transgender issue, but an everybody issue that the government shouldn't be telling you what to do with your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think we're always going to kind of disagree on this, yeah. but you know, just kind of like moving on. I, I, I do think, but I will say, I agree with you. I, I don't think the government should have any sort of say to that extent where they tell you what you like, what to do with your body itself. But I, yeah, I, I would say I agree with that. Like, you know, government can't tell you what to um, do with your body to that extent. Yeah. Um, well, moving on. While working on the set of the iconic soap opera Neighbors 2, Australian TV stars said they witnessed rate, racist incidents. Sharina Clayton alleged multiple racist traumas during her time on the show in an Instagram post on Monday. Clayton, whose first appearance on the show aired on Wednesday, said that N-word was used twice in her presence and detailed multiple racist traumas she said she endured on set. The actress also said sexist jokes were made by senior people that she suffered retaliation was ostracized and further marginalized as a result of her complaints. I mean, just to state the obvious, it's not okay behavior. And I think it's sad when you see this pattern of people speak up about things that uh, they have concern for, and then it's only made worse for them, which is a terrible cycle to be put through. Yeah, I agree. It's um, not a good thing. Definitely a bad thing. What I will, uh, what I will say though is that I think it is terrible that they uh, that some people go through this. Um, I think any type of incident where you're insulted, but I think especially on race, if you're insulted in that aspect, I think it's terrible. I think you're calling someone out and com- complete for completely wrong reasons just because of their race. I don't think that it's okay in any way what happened but you know uh what what really bothers me about this is that i think that hate i think hate breed like breeds certain types of i think hate breeds more hate in the sense that the decisions you make after you receive hate are more hateful and i think today we're especially with new, the, like the news and internet things like that are expanding. So we're seeing so much hate in the world because that's what people want to report on. They want to report on all the hate. And so I think when, you know, we see all this hate and all this, these terrible, disgusting things, I don't think it's just an increase. I think think there's actually a decrease, but the, but we're just seeing more of it, especially in today. And, but since people are seeing more of it, it's starting to breed more hate and that hate breeds even more hate. And it's essentially this, it's this terrible cycle to where I really hope that, Later on down the road, we don't kind of see this mass, everyone hates each other and we come and, you know, everyone hates each other and the world's terrible because everyone doesn't trust each other because they say, oh, these people hate these people and those people hate those people. I think at the end of the day, that's very stupid. But the only reason it happened was because there is a minority of people that were terrible and they had more people and they gave hate towards people and then those people became hateful and they became hateful towards another group of people and et cetera. And I, I especially see this today. Uh, I see no, I see numerous examples of this where people are more, uh, for instance, I use, I use an app and I definitely don't agree with the opinions on this, but I do see a lot of people, you know, who 
especially you see this in stupid kids who are like, oh, this lady was mean to me. All women are bad. But I also see, you know, you see these stories where girls get together and like they just had a heartbreak too. And they're like, oh, all men are pigs and all, men's are, all men are bad. It starts to kind of direct all that hate from a few people to a massive or greater group of people. And that's when I kind of mean where it breeds more hate. So I'll do that at the end of the day. I know I'm kind of cut off topic, but these events were terrible. But what I'm trying to say is what I hope doesn't come out of this is um, more people being hateful. And the only reason I'm saying that in terms of this is because, um, you know, they're TV stars and, you know, they have a mass voice. So I really hope that this doesn't kind of change their personality in the sense where, they breed hate, and so their fans become hateful toward, towards a more massive group of people who aren't just racist, per se. And that's what I'm trying to get at here. I know I kind of went off topic, but you know that's kind of my opinion on this terrible cycle of hate and violence. I think that it can be applied to many other issues when you see someone come forward about what they've uh, been through or what people have said to them and then as a result of coming forward and speaking up on their concerns they're essentially punished for it by being as you said ostracized and further marginalized and I think it's this terrible cycle because then people are afraid to speak up and then people and then people will tell them they'll be like well why didn't you say anything sooner and it's just this continuous cycle of not being able or um, not being allowed to stand up for yourself for fear of being punished for it. I mean, she's an actress on the show and she felt like that it was an uncomfortable and toxic work environment, which it sounds like it was, but she also felt like she couldn't say anything. And I think that's like this awful cycle that people are being put through. Mm -hmm. I also agree. You know, that's another kind of like this scenario where although we have more hate being bred, those that don't speak up, I think what, I think they're sort of using my logic, but instead of just using it in, just for hate, they think just in general, when you speak up, that's showing a, that's showing hate towards a larger group of people when it's not. Speaking speaking up is not necessarily hate. You know, as long as, as long as, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not saying don't, if you, if you hate them, you hate them, but I'm just saying don't direct that hate to more than just the people that are, uh, that are insulting you. Don't direct it farther than that. And I do think it's important to speak up. I think, uh, you know, at the, I always encourage people to speak up. I personally, I know people who have gone through some terrible things and I wish I could speak up for them, but I don't think it's my position to do so. But I always urge them, hey, you know, speak up. You know, this it's terrible. And, you know, I, I do think these are both examples of those kind of where I think cycles of not speaking up and cycles of if you do speak up, um, sometimes they don't speak up for the right reasons and they speak up to attack a larger group of people. I think both of these scenarios are an issue. I, what I, what I will say is that I do think more people need to uh, speak, um, essentially speak up and make it clear what's, what was wrong about the situation itself and make it clear that at the same time, you know, you're not trying to, bash a whole group of people you're just trying to make you're trying to make sure that i don't want to say justice but the right thing the right thing occurs of the aftermath of you speaking up so i don't um i don't know who who said the racist slurs i don't know if it was someone on set or if it was just some fans or something but at the end of the day i hope that they're kind of punished the extent of which they kind of learned their lesson 
And that's what I'm trying to say. You know, if you're trying to speak up, speak up because you want someone to learn their lesson, learn their lesson and sort of like, once again, I want to say just, yeah, be held accountable. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I just speak up because you want them to be held accountable basically. Yeah, I agree. Greenland's main opposition party has won an election which could have major consequences for international interests in the Arctic. The left-wing Inuit, I'm going to, I might even pronounce this, but uh, Ataka uh, Tijit, which opposes a mining project in southern Greenland, secured 37% of votes. Um, they promised to end the mining project that would have made Greenland a major source of rare earth uh, earth metals, but had potentially really bad environmental effects. So, um, so I'm just going to assume here that the opposition party is. So the op- so the, the party that was in party power- is the one that won, and it's the left wing one. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the one that was going to try to do the mining and stuff, that was the party in power? Yes. Okay, so uh, I think it's very interesting what happened in the sense that, okay, the more left-wing groups of people are in power over Greenland. But I, and just making a comparison to what we, we've seen in the U.S. and with our own elections that occurred, I think it's good that people are differing away from mining and all these um, uh, all these non-renewable resources and things like that. But I do think that in the sense that it can take drastic, uh, I can think I think it can take a drastic toll on the economy and on just on how things are run in general. I I always am for a slow um, removal of. Um, these types, these types of resources, I do think that I do hope that they handled the. Um, I do think they handled the removal of this massive, um, of uh, all this mining. I do hope that it's more of a slow removal than a fast removal because I do think a fast removal could take drastic impact. Just thinking about the um, the immediate response. Personally, um, I know this is a little bit off topic, but I think personally, when it comes to sort of the energy, and I don't, I don't know what they're mining but i think i'm assuming it's coal but i could be wrong i do think that when it comes to getting resources or getting some sort of things to power other things i think the world's main bet is probably nuclear energy but that's just my personal opinion but i know that's a little bit off topic but i just wanted to um, kind of say that when it comes to how things are going to be handled in the future because i do know all around the world because i know this last few weeks we've been seeing this uh the more the parties in power being taken not not taken out but being kind of they're being beat in elections by their opposition parties you know we see we saw it in america i know we saw it in some uh south american countries and you know we have greenland here so i do hope that when it comes to change it just doesn't it's not the change in the sense where something bad happens because you know the former party was doing something bad so i don't hope they i hope they don't replace it with and i hope they don't try to change it when that change causes an immediate bad result i hope that they just handle it responsibly in the sense that things don't become worse they become better short term and long term 
I think you, like you kind of said, you see it in America and other places. You have two groups of people. They're the people that value the economy and what that means for their country over whatever the environmental prices. And then there are the people that are kind of on the side of, well, we have to live here. So we need to look at what this is doing to our environment before we take any further steps. And I think there is a solid middle ground of being like, well, here's how we can do this in a way that's not rushed and doesn't hurt the land around us. Mm -hmm. I, def I definitely agree. You know, I think it's all about just kind of everyone wants an immediate solution, but I just think that's unrealistic. I think that you need planning and I'm not saying don't be lazy, you know, don't <laughs> wait around for years to finally come up with something, but nothing was, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It does take, it is a process. It will take some time, but I do think that as long as, you know, proper planning and proper, you know, unity and working towards a goal, I think that's what people should be aiming for to fix these things. I'm, I do think immediate, I do think immediate solutions usually do more harm than good. So, but I also think solutions, some solutions take too long and by then it's too late and things are already crappy. So I do think we need to kind of define a middle ground and, you know, it might take a year, you know, I think eventually people can work together. I think there's a group of moderates within the world today that are kind of trying to urge people to work together. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be people, both sides that are very radicalized. But I think what we're going to see in the future is that we're going to have to kind of rely on the proper planning and proper unity of these kind of moderates of both the right side, left side today, and just centrist in the sense that they're going to be the ones that I think they're going to, looking at it worldwide, they're going to be the ones to come up with solutions, or at least they're going to have to be the ones to come up with solutions, because a lot of the issues today are people that want immediate change. Immediate change is unrealistic, and I, I don't think it's fair to ask for immediate change. We need proper planning, and that's what we should be advocating for, the plan, the planning of proper change. Mm -hmm. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Politically Unwrapped, and you can follow Project Patriarchy at Project Patriarchy. Thanks for listening.